Good morning. Good to see you. Always nice uh, to get together. If you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and look at this text that was read for us uh, in, uh, in, in Hebrews and about the faith of Abraham. One of the things that has impressed me about our studies here in Hebrews, specifically from the point of view that the Hebrew letter was written in order to help us not fail. And the fact that God gave such a, a lengthy letter uh, in many ways in order to keep us from failing the goal, and keep us from falling away, it really testifies to the fact of how much God cares for us, but also the fact of how vulnerable we are. <clears throat> Uh, obviously, most every New Testament book cautions us against slipping back or falling. But to have a whole letter that is dedicated to that indicates really how vulnerable we are. And I, I, I would say in my life, and just looking at my own life, and looking at the lives of my own friends and brothers and sisters, we, we probably do not think of ourselves being that vulnerable a lot of times in our life. Like if you, if you said to me right now, hey, what's the chance, what's the chance right now that you'd fall away? I said, well, I'm not going <laughs> to. That's, 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 just, that's just not happening. But I would be saying it only from the standpoint of that's not happening based on the things I'm aware of not the things I'm not aware of. Peter failed because there were things he was not aware of, not because there were things that he was aware of. What he was aware of that could cause him to stumble was entirely different than what came to pass. We are vulnerable. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse, 13, verse, 13, verse 12 when he says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So we need to acknowledge this. And I would, I would suggest that probably the most important thing we do in preparing ourselves to get to that home and keeping ourselves from failing is to recognize our vulnerability and recognize that it is a possibility for us to fail and therefore put ourselves on guard more than we would ever even consider doing so. The faith of Abraham is what is used in order to keep us from failing. Abraham's example is an interesting example from a number of standpoints, but it is what is going to help us more than anything, maybe in avoiding that drift, that slip back that is so easy to do, as the preacher said in Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Abraham is talked about in this Hebrews 11 section and given more space than any of the other, uh, any of the other faithful that, that the Hebrew writer mentions. Furthermore, the book of Genesis devotes 14 of the 50 chapters to Abraham. Uh, in, in Romans, Abraham is referred to by Paul in chapter 4, 11, and 12 as our father Abraham the one upon whom the basis of our salvation is given because of the promises that were made through him. 
and how that Abraham stands as the one is such an example of faith that we are called upon to walk in the steps of our father Abraham. We are called upon to be able to live like he lived. And, and therefore, I, I would suggest that we, we look at him maybe in a little different way than we looked at Abel or we looked at Noah or others. Yes, certainly conquered by the faith they had. But Abraham, there's an extensive words that are about him. Abraham has extensive applications that are given here in this text and something that is important for us to consider. Just look at these beginning words in verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed. Uh, that, uh, that ought to not be read over too quickly. By faith Abraham obeyed. At the root of everything we see about Abraham is a matter of his obedience. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Just put the words faith and he obeyed in the same sentence right next to each other. And the writer has clearly told us, you don't have faith if you don't obey. It's just as simple as that. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And, and we have, of course, a tendency to battle that in our own lives. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And, and I think what is striking about that is he said he obeyed. He went out when God called him and he left. He went out not knowing where he is going. I, I, I don't think purposely I ever went anywhere not knowing where I was going and just said, I think I'll just go nowhere. <laughs> Who does that? You know, by faith... God tells Abraham, I want you to travel the distance between Nashville and El Paso, Texas. Do you know how big Texas is? And you know how long it gets just to the eastern part of Texas? And then you're going to walk the rest of the way. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He doesn't know it's going to be that far. He doesn't know how, it fa how far it is. He just goes. And that's what's striking about this. He doesn't question God. He doesn't ask for an explanation. He doesn't doubt this. He doesn't waver. He doesn't delay. He doesn't procrastinate. He doesn't half-heartedly obey and say, well, I don't find a convenient time. I'm going to do this. He just simply obeys. That's what he does. He obeys what God says. Now, stop for a minute and recognize how many times, maybe we or maybe people we have talked to, love to rationalize and question and say, well, I mean, after all, is it, is it really that important? Uh, God, do, do you think I won't make it to heaven if I decide I would rather stay here and believe in you? Well, God, you, do you really think that that's important? Of course, they never say it to God. They say it to you and me, or we say it to ourselves. There's an ease of rationalizing and usually starts with words like, do you really think? You know, when it comes to obeying God, I try not to think. <laughs> just try to do it. That's what Abraham did. Let me just sit here and think about how silly this is. Let me just work through all the ways that this doesn't make sense. 
Stop it. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He just simply obeyed. And that, I think, is really critical. Abraham's faith just exposes that tendency in us, and he doesn't include, we don't include, we, we tend to include these things that he did not do. And that's true with every single part of his life. And it isn't that Abraham didn't have times when his faith was maybe a little misdirected, like the Hagar situation and things like this. But he was determined to do whatever God wanted him to do. He was determined to get there. He's not questioning God's word and God's will in this. I would suggest a couple of things here that, it, that gave Abraham the confidence and faith that he had. And, and it, it's something that is important for us to realize. God sees what we can't see. God knows what we do not know. God cares about what happens to us. And God rewards those who live by faith. The moment I start questioning those things, the moment I start questioning whether or not I should obey, is when I'm saying, I think I know just about as much as God does. Or maybe I even know more than what God does about this. You know, He's not really caring about my welfare like I care about my welfare. And therefore, I think I, I, think, think I really need to do this. I don't think that's important. But not with Abraham. And that's not the kind of faith that God is expecting to, us to have. He knows more than we do. And He cares, literally, about you and me more than you and I care about each other. We, we don't, I don't care about me as much as God cares about me. Because if I did, I wouldn't do some of the things I did. I wouldn't make some of the sins that I've committed if I cared more about me. No, God cares more about me. And it's important to keep that in mind. I think it's also critical that the greater challenge that, that Abraham even had in all of this is the rest of his family don't believe. That, that's, a, that's an amazing one to think about. Over in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse 2, as Joshua begins his final speech with Israel, he says, uh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. Now they came with Abraham, at least as far as Haran, but they served other gods. Oh, Abe, you, you taken off? Well, maybe we'll just go with you. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob battled the godlessness of their other family in Haran the whole time. And yet Abraham, he even in essence, leaves his own family, does leave his family and goes down to Canaan and does not follow what they follow. Isaiah, in rebuking the people of Israel, exalted Abraham and Sarah in this way. When Isaiah 51, 1 and 2 states, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. God calling the people of Isaiah's day to look back 1,500 years practically before them and saying, remember who Abraham was. Remember what Sarah does. Look back at their faith and return to the Lord. 
Obviously, if, they, if God did that with them, we need to do that also with Abraham. You know, most, one of the things that strikes me most about living by faith, living by the faith Abraham had, it has such a calming effect on our life. We have, in the last three years, we've, we've lost two of our elders who lived good, long lives. Brother David, Brother Dwayne, now Dwayne's wife, Pat. And you know, yeah, we all miss them, we all love them deeply, and I know Danny and I have talked about this many a times. Sure would like Dwayne here to be right now, or like David to be here right now, so we could, we could just soak on their wisdom. But there's a calming, a calmness about it. We're not freaked out. We rejoice with them. We rejoice with them. We miss Sister Marty terribly. But we rejoice. We're calm. And when we live our lives, we calmly go through it. Yeah, there's waves and ups and downs. But that was Abraham. Look at all the things that came his way. And yet, he just, he just does it. God says, do this, he does it. He has this calmness, understanding no matter what. God cares, God is there, God knows the direction, God knows what he doesn't know, God is going to take care of him. It is incredibly important. But if you want a life of turmoil... If you want a life where you don't know what's going to happen next, you live a life that's not by faith. You live a life when you hedge on obedience. You live a life where you do what you do because it's convenient, not because it's what God asks. And that's a killer. It's no fun. My good friend Bernice, I've mentioned this to you before, but it always comes to my mind. We'd visit somebody like that and she'd say, that poor woman has just enough religion to make herself miserable. Indeed. Don't live a miserable life with a half obedience to God and a half way. It's no fun. And it isn't what God has asked us to do. Consider for a moment Abraham's kind of faith and how that should help us Meet the challenges of life. You know, in every stage of life, there are times of confusion and doubt and questions. It especially happens, I think, early on, me, others, everybody's gone through it. As you start in your early part of your life, you begin to, you have all kinds of questions. Is the way I, was the way I raised, was that, was that the right way? Should I continue to follow that? Is that really what the scriptures mean there? And none of those things are wrong questions. As long as my desire above everything else is not to find a loophole in God's laws, but to please Him. Let me find what God wants. The problem that so often happens through these things is that we forget that God is the God 
and Lord of our lives. And therefore, we're not looking to try to find a way to get out of what he says. We are just like a good marriage. I'm trying to figure out how to do everything to please him. That's really the idea. Faith guides us through those times. And I, and I would recommend that in all of those times, how important patience is. How much did Abraham know when he left? Nothing. <laughs> and when he tells, God tells him, all right, time to leave Haran, go down to Canaan. Okay. What am I going to find there? You're going to wander around and you're going to live in tents. People are going to think you're nuts. You're a stranger. You're a foreigner. You're going to have famines. You're going to have ups and downs. And for 100 years, you're going to live that way. Now, Abraham didn't even know that, but that's what was going to happen. Patience was a key. So much Abraham didn't understand and realize. The Hagar situation happens because he doesn't understand, but he continues to serve and put his hope in God. Yes, we go through that, but slow down. Don't jump out of the boat. Hang on. Be patient. There's a few things that are, I think, important to this. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Everybody here can remember that verse, right? Easy. 29, 29, Deuteronomy. Remembered it when my parents taught it to me when I was seven. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Answers all problems. <laughs> the things, the secret things belong to God and the things revealed belong to our children, us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Bottom line is, we're always going to have questions, and some of them are going to be without answers. Job lived his whole life, as far as we know, without any answer to all the questions he asked throughout the book of Job. And when God spoke to him in chapter 38 through 41, he never gave him the answer as to what, he, what was going on through all he went through. You're going to go through times, I'm going to go through times, have gone through times, am going through times, where I don't have the answers. Be patient. Sometimes you don't have the answers to maybe troubling things that you read about in the Bible. And you're trying to figure it out. And maybe it doesn't seem right or whatever. Hang on. Be patient. Have faith. You're always not going to have the answers. But the key to that is be careful attention to what is revealed not the secret things that aren't revealed. I use one example. I don't know how many times I've talked to young preachers, others. Well, uh, you know, I don't tell the church this, but I don't think it makes a bit of difference in this world what day a week we take the Lord's Supper. I think we could take it all seven days if we wanted to. So I try to hang on to calmness at that moment. You know, what is revealed is what we know. There isn't a soul on the face of this earth that has ever read the Bible that would say it was wrong to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. 
And that's all the evidence you have. You can speculate all you want. You can go through all kinds of things. And that's true with a lot of different subjects because what we're looking for, ladies and gentlemen, is what he revealed, not what he didn't reveal. Not speculation, not maybes, not possiblies, not any of these things. We go on what he revealed. And yes, when we go on what he revealed, the inner parts of our mind think, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Calm down and just do what he said. It is so much better. It is so much more stable. It doesn't go all over the place. Just do what he said. Abraham's faith is just that way. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And I might just say one more thing about that. Usually when you read the scriptures, the most, obvi- the most obvious answer is the right answer. i never forget a good, good friend, haven't seen Brother Harold Turner in many, many years, preaches over in Arkansas. He, he's, a, he's, he's an older guy now. I remember hearing him preach one time, and, and he said, you know, when Jesus said, whoever puts away his wife and marries another commits adultery, the disciples didn't go, huh? <laughs> they didn't say, what? I don't get it. They got it. That's just what it said. And volumes have been written about how that isn't so. The most obvious answer is right there in the text. It's pretty plain. And we need to understand that we need to follow that. My good friend, long passed away, one of the best elders I ever worked with in in San Diego, Bruce Kitt, had a really deep voice. I always loved his voice. Preacher sat down with he and I one time for two solid hours trying to explain to us why you should not serve the Lord's Supper on Sunday night and that it was unscriptural. Now, I don't care how you feel about that, but bottom line is two solid hours to explain why it was. And I'll never forget, Bruce sat back after the two hours over and he said, well, brother, If it takes that much to prove it, it's probably wrong. (laughs) I about fell off my chair. (laughs) Well, that's a pretty good point. (laughs) That's a pretty good point. There's a lot of things, a lot of times, that if you just take what's revealed and stick with it, you're going to be okay. Look at the foundation now of Abraham's faith. Look, look carefully just at verse, verses uh, 9 and 10. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, who designer and builder is God. Do you notice the contrast between verse 9 and 10? Why did they live in tents? Why didn't they ever stop and build a house? For they were looking for a city which has foundations. They didn't care that they spent, and Abraham spent a hundred years 
And Isaac spent 180 years, and Jacob spent 147 years. You can't go to heaven unless you know their ages. You have to know that. They spent all that time in tents. And they did so because they were looking for a city with foundations. I don't care if you live in a big, nice house, or you live in a small apartment, or whatever you live in, you're looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares what kind of house you live in, what kind of place you live in, what kind of car you drive? Who cares? I've never known that anybody, never even conceived that anybody who passed away was looking back and thinking, wow, I really missed out on living in a good house or driving that car I always wanted. Now you know that's exactly the first thought in a person's mind after they die. That's the first thought, right? Well, I guarantee you it wasn't a thought. Of, that's not the thought of Pat. It wasn't her thought when she was alive, much when she was just dead. Nor any who put their faith and hope in God. That's not what's important. The only thing that's going to cross our minds is, did we give our lives up for Him? That's what is really important. Not, I love verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them. He saw the unseen. As Chip said this morning, he saw the unseen, having seen them and looked forward to them. They desire a better country. That's, that should be before every single one of us. Look at the final thing here. In, down in verse 17, it was not read for us. But by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was an act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offering be, offspring be named. He considered that God was, even, was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is a picture that was counter to all the promises of God. Take your son... And these are the words of Genesis 22.1. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Critical words. Only son. You say, well, he had Ishmael. No. Only here. In fact, the old version said only begotten to indicate the idea of the word only in the Hebrew and Greek is the idea of unique and single. There's no one like him. There's no one who has been given the promises like Isaac. There's no one who was born like Isaac. There's no one who's conceived like Isaac. Isaac is special. Take your son, your only son, and offer him. The question now, the test, is will you love me even more than your only son? That's the test that is given before Abraham. It was counter to every promise. Tell me that if you were the one that God spoke to in the middle of the night and said, Abraham, and Abraham wakes up and answers, here I am. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and take him three days' journey to the mountain that I will designate for you and offer him there as a burnt offering. Which of us would not have said, 
Didn't you make some promises through him? Could you explain that? <laughs> you know, you Enneagram people would probably pick the numbers that would, uh, <laughs> that would probably question that. <laughs> I'm probably one of them. I don't know enough about it. But I'm probably one of them. Yeah, Abraham didn't do that. Love. Love the words. Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and got the wood and got the servants and said, let's go, Isaac. That's, that's the picture of faith. Does that not help us? Does that teach us what we would do? How do you and I respond when something makes no sense? There's going to be challenges where God brings you to the brink. He brings you to the edge of what your faith can handle. He might do it in a marriage. He might do it in a child, in your family situation, your children, your job, any number of things, health in your life. He brings us to the brink. And the reason he brings us to the brink is because unless he does so, he cannot know, he cannot know where your faith is. He determined not to until he puts you through it. The very words of the angel when Abraham passed the test and lifted his knife, the words of the angel was, now I know. He must bring you to the brink where you think I can't take it one more second to find out if you're going to stay with him or are you going to give it up. That's what Satan said to God. He only serves you because you do good things for him. Take it away and he'll curse you to your face. Take it away, will you violate his word? Take it away, will you cease to be obedient? Take it away, will you give up your faith? Take it away. And then, how are we going to respond? Who among us will have the faith to pick up the knife? He's asking us that question every day. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And he lived a hundred years without receiving the promise, as verse 40 says, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Let's be made perfect with them, not apart from them. You're not a Christian. If there's any way we can help you with your faith, we'd love to talk to you about it. If, if you have need to speak to the congregation here about sins that you need to correct, uh, or you are ready to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. We'd be glad to do that this morning. While together we stand and while we sing.